Gonzaga can't look ahead to college game day against St. Mary's quite yet, as they have to take care of one of the highest scoring teams in the WCC, the San Diego Toreros first. Is there an upset waiting in the wings? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. All right, happy Thursday, happy game day to, to those of you listening before Gonzaga takes on the San Diego Toreros tonight. That is what we are going to talk about in the first segment. We are doing a preview of the team. We haven't done one of these in a while. It has been a while since Gonzaga has played an opponent for the first time this season. But San Diego was one of the teams that Gonzaga only had to play once this year, and it got put very late on the schedule. So we're going to talk about Steve Lavin's team, what they've been up to this season in his first year back as the head coach of a college basketball team. We're going to give five keys to the game, what Gonzaga needs to do to win, what they need to not do, what they need to avoid in order to make sure they secure a victory here. We're going to close out the show with a handful of hot takes submitted by listeners for our Andy Locks segment. I didn't want these to sit for too long, so figured we would push them into the show today. All right, let's get right into it. We're talking San Diego Toreros again tonight, Thursday, February 23rd. 8 p.m. Pacific time, another one of those late starts. I know many of you who are listening to the podcast are not in the Pacific time zone, and it is frustrating to have these late games. I am sorry for that. I can understand the frustration there. Uh, it's the first matchup of the season, like we said. First time Gonzaga gets to play new head coach Steve Lavin. Lavin, of course, a longtime head coach of the UCLA Bruins, also coached St. John's in the Big East as well. Took some time off, was a well-known, established broadcaster, uh, and then came and took over the team uh, earlier in the summer. And it was a surprising hire, I think, for USD. Obviously, a big-name hire. We've seen other coaches in the conference kind of make some of those big-name hires, like Lorenzo Romar and Lorenzo Romar and Steve Lavin are kind of hanging out at the very, very bottom of the standings in the WCC right now. Uh, the Toreros are 11-17 and 17 on the season. They are 4-10. and 10 in WCC play. That is good for ninth place. Two of their four wins have come against Pepperdine, the team in 10th place in the WCC. Their other wins were against San Francisco. And somewhat surprisingly, they did secure a win over LMU, a inconsistent team that Steve Lavin and co were able to pick off uh, non-con. They don't have any great wins. They have a win over UC Riverside, a win over UC San Diego. They got an early season win over mid mid major darling Florida Gulf coast. They have some okay losses. They do have a loss to New Mexico state. Uh, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, New Mexico state doesn't have a basketball team anymore for the rest of the season. They forfeited the year with some significant hazing allegations and many other things spoke about that. Uh, on the Locked On College Basketball podcast on Thursday's episode for anybody interested in that. But regardless, San Diego also lost to Utah State, UNLV, Cal Baptist, Arizona State, and Cal State Northridge, among a handful of other teams as well. Currently, Ken Palm has them as the 204th best team in the country, uh, one of the worst teams in the WCC uh, for as much as the WCC gets lauded for being a high school conference, Mickey Mouse conference, whatever people on Twitter like to type behind their keyboards. Uh, there's not very many teams outside the top 200 in Ken Palm. Typically, the WCC ranks a little bit higher than that. USD is one of the exceptions, uh, and it's because of their defense. 
quite honestly. Uh, offensively, Ken Palm ranks this team 65th, 65th in the country. 68 teams make the field of 68. That means that Steve Lavin's team has one of the best offenses in the entire country. But defensively, I had to reread this to make sure it was correct. Defensively, Ken Palm ranks USD 333rd. That's pretty much last. It's not quite last, but it's pretty darn down there. Uh, this is a horrendous defensive team. And it doesn't take a whole lot of research to pick up on that. This team gave up 99 points in a loss to Pacific. They gave up 98 points in a loss to LMU. They gave up 88 points in a loss to the University of Portland. They gave up 85 points to St. Mary's, which I know St. Mary's is one of the best teams they have played all year, but that is shocking to see St. Mary's score 85 points in a regulation game just because of the way that they limit possessions. They also gave up 91 points to Arizona State. This team doesn't guard anybody. It's a pretty good sign for Gonzaga. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, Tempo-wise, they're 106th, so they run a decent tempo. They like to get out and run a little bit, uh, not as much as many of the other teams in the conference, not as much as Pepperdine, for example, not as much as Gonzaga would like to do, certainly more than some of the slower teams in the conference, a la St. Mary's and many other teams like that, but not really a significant part of their game, I don't think. Now, for San Diego, the players to keep an eye on, they got three guys averaging over 14 points per game. Again, this team doesn't have any issues putting the ball in the hoop. They got a lot of issues stopping other people from putting the ball in the hoop. Uh, their leader this year is Marcellus Erlington. He's he's an all-WCC performer. He's been fantastic this season. 17.5 points per game, seven boards, one and a half assists, uh, shooting just under 37% from deep. Bit of a matchup challenge. He's 6'6" kind of an oversized guard wing, plays around the perimeter, but it's got some size, some physicality. I think Julian Strother is going to have his hands full here, but I think he's going to be able to handle him. Uh, next up on their list, Jace Townsend. Townsend is their kind of floor general leader in a way. They're not a great passing team. They have one guy over three assists per game, and I think he's right at three assists. Townsend kind of plays the de facto point guard role. Uh, he's only averaging two and, a, two and a half assists per game, but he is averaging 15 points, and he's shooting a wicked 39% from deep so he's another guy to keep an eye on on the perimeter and then a player that i was really excited to see this team add and it has paid off for them very handsomely that is eric williams eric williams former duquesne star transferred to oregon had two solid years as a role player for the ducks and then transferred to join steve lavin and the toreros 14 and a half points a conference leading nine and a half rebounds eric williams is about six six but he is a tenacious tenacious rebounder nearly 10 a game for Williams. That is something that the Zags are going to need to watch out for. Uh, 37% from deep, two and a half assists per game as well. The big issue for San Diego, I mean, defense in general is, is obviously an issue for them, but they just don't have a lot of size and they have no rim protection. I mean, none. They average 1.9 blocks per game as a team. That is 343rd in the country. There's only about 15 Division I teams that are that have less blocks per game than San Diego. They do not protect the rim. You think Gonzaga doesn't protect the rim? They do a lot better job than this team does. Uh, they don't, again, they just don't have a lot of size. Steven Jameson, the second, uh, is a freshman. He is 6'10. He plays about 15 minutes per game. That's about it. Uh, part of the reason that we have seen his playing time tick up is because Jaden Delaire has been out since February 2nd. Delaire is a transfer from Stanford who was a pretty good player at Stanford and many felt that him transferring to USD was going to elevate his game to the point where he would become a all WCC performer. 
hasn't really happened. Eric Williams was kind of the lesser known of the Pac-12 transfers to join Steve Lavin's team, and Williams has been better than Dallaire. Again, Dallaire has been out right now with an injury. When he was healthy, he averaged nine points and five boards, so it's not like he was bad necessarily, but no Dallaire gives them less of a post present. Steven Jamerson is the main guy right there. They have a few other 6'11 guys who basically don't play at all. This is a small team. They space the floor. They spread you out, but defensively, they don't really have anybody to to stop anyone, quite honestly. For the Zags to secure another victory ahead of the big showdown on Saturday, here are five key things that they're going to need to do. We'll talk about that in the second segment after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1 thousand dollars that's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win just download the FanDuel sportsbook app it's safe secure and super easy to use then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drain maybe you like demontis sabonis to keep putting up huge numbers maybe you like zach collins in his new role with the spurs to keep up the high production maybe you want to make an exclusive bet like Corey Kispert hitting two threes in the first three minutes of Washington's next game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. Still want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. We got the Alabama situation, Michigan State's win over Indiana, New Mexico State, all of that stuff covered in the last couple of episodes. More fantastic stuff coming your way as we get closer and closer to March. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. You can find it on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. All right, five keys to victory here for the Zags against San Diego on Thursday evening. Typically, we do kind of a keys to victory slash things I'll be watching for. This one's a little bit more of the keys to the victory uh, for the Zags. I think that this is a game they should win, quite obviously, against the ninth place team in the WCC. I think it's interesting that they're playing a team for the first time this late in the season, and we'll kind of see how that shakes out. Uh, the number one key for this team, though, is pretty simple. Get the ball to Drew Timmy. And one thing we've kind of talked about on this podcast recently is Gonzaga's over-reliance on Drew Timmy earlier in the season and how that has kind of dissipated a little bit as we've seen Strother get a little bit more comfortable being a creator, a guy who goes and, and hunts his own shot. Rasir Bolton has been going downhill a little bit more, trying to get looks that way, whether it was a conscious decision by the coaching staff to, to maybe give those guys more autonomy. Maybe they did it on their own. It's hard to say. And I've been encouraging of that. And I think most people have been encouraging of that. It's better for the Zags to have a little bit more uh, just difference in their offense. It's a, it's a little bit di more difficult to defend if they're not doing the same thing every time. However, in this game, because of USD's weaknesses, get the ball to Drew and play through him. Doesn't necessarily mean he needs to take a shot every single time he gets the ball. Drew has been exceptional at finding open shooters and passing the ball. His assist numbers are higher than they have ever been in his career. But again, against a team with no rim protection, with not very much size, if USD attempts to single coverage Drew Timmy, then he should get the ball every single time down the floor. He could score 30 and a half against this team, quite honestly. He he really, really could. But if they choose to double, which I suspect that they probably will because it is a very bad idea not to, especially with the personnel the Toreros have, 
I think that they're going to double, and I think Drew's going to have to find the way to get the ball out to shooters. He has been much better about that. He's been better at recognizing when the double team is coming, where the double team is coming from, who to pass the ball to. So I think that playing through Drew Timmy, which is not a secret, it's not a shock, you know, Steve Lavin's not going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh, that's what they're going to do. It's not, it's not a surprise, but I think that's the best way to go here. Just get the ball to Drew. If he's open, if he's got a good look, go to work. If he's not, he is smart enough to know when to kick the ball out. If USD is doing something unique, if they're sending surprise doubles or they're doing something that's preventing Drew from, from getting the ball out, he's turning it over, he's missing, whatever it may be, then you can, you can pivot. You can do something different. You can run the offense a little bit more through Strother. You can run more high pick and rolls. You can kind of do things a little bit differently, but there's no reason to not start out by giving the national player of the year candidate the basketball against a team that can't defend the rim pretty much at all. Number two key for the Zags in this one, prevent second chance points. San Diego is 305th in the country in defensive rebounding, but they are 176th in offensive rebounding. Now, 176 is not great. It is about average, slightly below average if you were to just average out all of the Division I basketball teams, but they're still much better on that end of the floor. Eric Williams and Marcellus Erlington are both averaging over two and a half offensive boards per game. They are guys who get the rebounds, who clean up on the glass, and who try to get second chance points. Gonzaga has struggled to get out in their transition offense this year. It might be tempting in this game to maybe skirt the defensive rebounding a little bit, let Drew or let Greg or whoever's down there kind of try to handle that, skirt out, try to get out in transition. I don't think there's any need to do that. Gonzaga's half-court offense should take care of business just fine against a defense that is, you know, that gave up 99 points to Pacific, for example. I don't think Gonzaga needs to try to get out in transition too much in this game. So for me, I kind of want to see what they did against Xavier, where they're just crashing, sending everybody to the defensive boards. Do not let this team try to get offensive rebounds. The, the recipe for an upset, and again, it's a, it's a difficult recipe to see for this San Diego team in Spokane in this situation. But one of the recipes is to win 50-50 balls, is to out-hustle the other team, and is to get second-chance points. You look at a lot of upsets throughout history, that's a big way that it happens. So for Gonzaga, just don't even mess with that. If you get very few second-chance points, or excuse me, if you get very few transition points in this game because you are sending everybody to the glass, I think that's going to be fine because I think the half-court offense is going to be more than capable of scoring plenty of points to beat San Diego in this one. Next up, key in every game, definitely a key in this one, defend the perimeter. USD, I think they might try to run. They might try to get those transition threes that BYU did. If I'm a coach in the WCC and I'm watching film on Gonzaga, obviously you're going to watch the LMU game they lost. You're going to watch the BYU game. You're going to watch the USF game. That's what you're going to see, especially against BYU. The two times they played BYU, and yes, Gonzaga won both those games, but BYU gave a framework of something that works. Get out and transition, find your spots around the perimeter, set your feet, get your hands out, and you're going to catch a pass, and you're going to catch Gonzaga's defenders sleeping. You're going to catch them unable to find the right guy. They're going to be in switches, and they're going to get confused, and Spencer Johnson's going to knock down three after three after three because that's what happened against BYU. If I'm Steve Lavin and the Toreros, I'm watching that and I'm trying to do the same thing because they have the dudes to do that. As a team, this, shoot, this team is shooting 36% from deep. That's 75th in the country. They're four main players. They have four guys playing 29 plus minutes per game this year. Every single one of them shoots 36 plus percent from deep. All of them. This is basically a team with four to five three-point shooters on the floor at any given time. Again, 
You want to talk about a recipe for an upset. That's what it is. Second chance points, winning 50-50 balls, hitting open threes, and getting a lot of them. Again, San Diego does not have a good defense, and I think they're going to have to score a lot of points to pull off a victory here. But if Gonzaga struggles to get back in transition, if they struggle to find open three-point shooters, Marcellus Erlington's going to knock them down. Eric Williams is going to knock them down. Jace Townsend is going to knock them down. And if they're not fighting those guys in the perimeter and they're giving up points that way, you could see a situation where USD potentially hangs on for a little bit longer. And that kind of goes into what my final or my fourth, I should say, kind of key for this game is. Let's get a big lead early and let's get those starters to the bench. I'm not super worried about an actual upset here, but I would hate to see USD hang around for 30 minutes, 32 minutes, 35 minutes, because it just doesn't prevent or it doesn't allow Gonzaga to let Drew Timmy sit for the last eight minutes to let Anton Watson or Julian Strother or Rasir Bolton sit for the last eight, five, eight, ten, maybe minutes. I would rather see that. St. Mary's is going to be a really tough game. It's going to be hard. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be physical. It's going to be a difficult game. And while I don't think the starters should rest entirely in this game, you need to keep your body fresh. You need to play. It would, wouldn't be terrible if Drew Timmy came out at the under 12 uh, in the second half and that was it because Gonzaga was up 37 points, for example. That would be pretty nice. I think it'd be good for Drew Timmy to get that kind of break ahead of a huge game on Saturday. Same with Strother, Bolton, all of those guys. Let's see more. Plus, I want to see more of the other guys. Let's see more Hunter Salas. Let's see more Ben Gregg. Let's see more Efton Reed. Let's see more of Ben Gregg and Efton Reed playing together. Something that has always intrigued me, that has always looked very fun and exciting, and they're they're very hardworking guys, and you can see that high-low game starting to develop. Let's give them eight minutes together. Let's see what that looks like. Gonzaga and Mark Few can't do this if it's a six-point game with eight minutes to go. Even a 12-point game with eight minutes to go. I don't think they're doing that. If it's a 26-point game with eight minutes to go, then yeah, maybe that's what you get to see in that situation. So maybe we get to see Dom Harris, who didn't make the trip down uh, to LA because of an illness, which is unfortunate because Dom would have played. He would have played in that LMU game. He would have played in that Pepperdine game, potentially. We didn't get to see that. That would be, it'd be nice to get a chance for him to get out on the home court, play six, seven, eight minutes potentially in this game. Maybe we see the walk-ons. Maybe we see more Colby Brooks, more of Abe Eagle. Abe Eagle, always fun to get a chance to see those guys. Uh, again, no reason to push these guys past what they are needed in this game when they have the biggest game of the season coming up just two days later uh, on Saturday in the McCarthy Athletic Center. And then, of course, again, the final key here kind of already alluded to it. Don't look ahead. Game day is a huge deal. I mean, it's a huge deal. All these players want to do this. It's been a long time since game day was in Spokane, way too long. This is a massive deal and a huge game, and it's going to be really hard to not think about it. Really hard. But you have to. I don't really like that Gonzaga's game leading into game day is against an opponent they haven't played yet this year with a new coach. There is a lack of familiarity here. Significant lack of familiarity. Yes, this team is familiar with Marcellus Erlington and Jace Townsend. They were there last year. Wayne Erlington or Wayne McKinney coming off the bench. They're familiar with him. They're not familiar with Eric Williams or not as familiar with, with some of the other guys on the roster, but they're also just not familiar with the coaching staff. They're not familiar with how this team is operating. They'll watch tape. They'll be ready. They're more talented. So even at the end of the day, that should win out. It's still basketball. But that coupled with the distraction of Saturday's game does kind of create a little bit of a whirlwind. It creates a little bit of a situation where you could see uh, Lavin and co exploiting some cracks and potentially kind of hanging around in this game a little longer than they should. I'm not sold on the job Lavin has done. 
I don't know how you could be their ninth place in the WCC. They haven't looked particularly competitive in a whole lot of their basketball games. You got to give a guy more than a year. Uh, I think Lavin made some personnel decisions. Firing a coach after he did a lot of work for him over the summer was kind of a bad look for the program. And I think that uh, it's fair to be a little bit critical of him and, and what has happened so far. But I still think, I mean, he coached at UCLA, he coached at St. John's. He's obviously had some success coaching against high-level teams, against high-level players. And I think that they could try some unique things here in this game to potentially keep this one a little closer. Gonzaga's got to be ready for that. And one of the ways to be ready for that is to not be looking ahead to what's coming on Saturday. I'd have two hot take submissions for Andy Locks that I wanted to make sure I got to this week. So we're going to discuss those right here, right after this. All right, segment three, Stanley Patton still locked on Zags. And they're finishing our week or our preview, I should say, of the San Diego Toreros ahead of Thursday night's game. We're instead going to take a look at two Andy Locks segments for those of you or Andy Locks submissions, I should say, for those of you who are new to the podcast, new to Locked On Zags, new to Gonzaga, whatever it may be, welcome. Uh, Andy Locks is a segment I've been doing for the last year, periodically, typically on Thursdays, uh, where people submit their hot takes, and I grade them. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Hence the name Andy Locks, Goldilocks. It was submitted by listener Christian as an idea. I have loved it ever since. Uh, We haven't done a ton of it yet this year, uh, but we got two submissions this last week, and I wanted to make sure we got them covered. This first one comes from Twitter user at that crazy uncle F on Twitter who says, Karnowski is the most underrated GU player of the last decade. His passing ability was better than 40% of the point guards we've had come through the program, but he seems to get left behind when talking about some of the other greats in the program. The winningest player in NCAA history deserves some more love. Yeah, not really a gradable hot take necessarily, but I am happy to talk about Shemek Karnowski, so that's what we are going to do. It's a little hard to say he's underrated. I guess I don't know what context that would be under. If I was ranking him among like Zaga centers, it's really hard because his body of work in total is going to be more than, you know, Chet Holmgren's or DeMontis Sabonis's or Brandon Clark's. But if I was like picking a team, and that's what you see a lot of, you know, you see Dan Dicko's list that shows up on the ESPN broadcast and you see, you know, other people I've talked about, like my top eight team, like my starting lineup and my dream rotation. And many other people have talked about that, too. And I don't think Shemek needs to be in that conversation. I think that it's defensible to have him there. And if you're talking about all time great Zags especially if you're talking about overall body of work, like I said, then yes, Shemek absolutely needs to be in that conversation. But if I was drafting a team, I would take Chet. I would take Sabonis. I would take Clark. I'd take Drew Timmy. I'd probably take Kelly Olenek over him. And that's less of a knock on Shemek and more of a, holy crap, this team has had a lot of really good big men. You can make arguments for Roni Turioff as well. Like there's, there's, we're, we're not talking about everybody. That's insane. It's insane what the big men development has been at Gonzaga. But Shemek is a perfect example of a guy who was really rough when he got to Spokane. That 2012-2013 team with Kelly Olynyk, Elias Harris, Mike Hart, Gary Bell, Kevin Pangos, Shemek was on that team. He didn't play much. He was a freshman. He was on that team. And then for him to develop into a guy who helped lead this team to a national championship appearance in 2017 with Nigel Williams-Goss, with Jonathan Williams, with Josh Perkins, that really fantastic team, he was a catalyst. For that team, he was a huge part of what they did because of his passing ability down low, because of his low post scoring, because of his he wasn't a great shot blocker, but he was a great rim protector just because he knew how to use his size, use his body, avoid committing fouls. He was fantastic. I loved Shem. I loved him. 
He was one of my favorite players to watch at, in Gonzaga basketball history. I don't know how underrated he is. I think the passing of time just kind of tends to have players be brought up less. And I do think that's what we're seeing here. And it is unfortunate. People talk less about, you know, some of the guys from Kyle Bankhead, for example, players who were kind of fan favorites. Mike Hart, you know, got talked about a lot for the first five years after he left, kind of hasn't been talked about as much now. Jeremy Jones doesn't get talked about as much now. It's just part of how it goes. And those guys are, are more role players than Shemek. Shemek was obviously a great, but it's just part of what kind of happens. And I think Gonzaga having so many great players every single year makes it fun because you can do like a remember some guys and you can say, hey, remember Shemek? You remember, you know, Jonathan Williams, who I brought up, who doesn't get talked about all that often, but was really fantastic for the Zags for two seasons. Like that's what this program has done, has been able to develop talent so well and continually churn out high level players that it's not that we forget about them. It's that there's just so many guys kind of in our bank, in our memory to talk about. And Shem is, is an all-time great, a fan favorite. He should be. I love that he's back at Arizona. I love that he's working with Tommy Lloyd. I love that he's working with Umar Balo. It's a little sad in some ways. But Gonzaga has J.P. Batista on the sidelines. They have Zach Norvell on the sidelines. Tommy Lloyd's going to go after the guys that he knows. Shemek Karnowski, obviously a guy he knows, as he was kind of Gonzaga's international recruiter. So I love it. I love what's going on with Karnowski. I love that we're having this conversation. I love talking about former Zags. I don't know that he's truly underrated necessarily, uh, but I'm always down to talk about former Zags when given the opportunity. Final Hot take here submitted from Emily via Gmail. Emily says, this is the year Gonzaga finally wins it all. That is what I'm talking about, Emily. <laughs> she goes on. Gonzaga's making all their mistakes now and learning all their lessons now. It will all come together in March for an amazing ending. It will be the perfect story. Drew Timmy's return, all the doubts throughout the season, a lower seed, so no haters saying we were gifted an easy path with a one seed, etc. I will push back on one thing. There's going to be haters. <laughs> There's There are going to be haters. I wish there weren't. If Gonzaga makes a run to the national championship, wins it all as a four seed, if they upset two one seeds, three one seeds, a one seed, two two seeds, whatever it ends up being, if they run through and beat teams like Arizona and Kansas, et cetera, et cetera, and, and win the championship, there are still going to be haters. It's just a fact of life. Those goalposts are going to be moving until they cannot move anymore, and even then people will try. Having said all that, love this hot take. Is it too hot? Maybe, maybe. But it's Gonzaga doesn't normally peak at this time. It's kind of unique. It's kind of fun to see. Even looking at their two championship appearances, 2017, when they made that run, they lost to BYU on senior night. That was their only loss, mind you, until the national championship game. But that they, they weren't peaking necessarily at that time. The 2021 season really was never not peaking. They didn't lose at all until the national championship game, so it's a little hard to, to judge that team. They did have some, some struggles in the regular season towards the end of the year around this time. Quite honestly, they had a struggle against BYU. Jalen Suggs kind of willed them to victory in that one. This team really did get their ugly losses out of the way early. And that's kind of rare. And now they're peaking. And we'll see how they do on Thursday against San Diego. We'll see how they do uh, certainly on Saturday against St. Mary's. That's a huge, huge game for them. But this team does seem to be kind of peaking at the right time. They've they've opened things up. They've found more offensive opportunities for Strother and Bolton. I think defensively they are improving, although they still have work to do on that area. We've seen Nolan Hickman improve. We've seen Hunter Salas improve. Like This team does seem to be peaking at the right time. And we haven't really seen that from a Gonzaga team before. How they do to finish out the regular season, how they do in the WCC tournament will really give us a better picture of whether this team is truly at their peak 
whether they are kind of continuing the roller coaster that we've seen from them this season. But if they if they beat St. Mary's on Saturday, if they beat him again in the WCC tournament, if they win handily in the semifinal game there, this might be a team that really is going to the tournament as hot as anybody. And I can't remember the last time that was the, that was true for Gonzaga. It's, it doesn't happen very often. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens. I think that there's a, a chance they get a three seed, four seed, five seed. Uh, you know, we talked on, on Wednesday's episode about some of the matchups and what that might look like. Gonzaga is going to have their hands full. They have some some pretty obvious deficiencies that are teams are good teams are going to exploit and they're going to have the talent to do so. But Gonzaga beat Alabama this year. You know, they 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 beat Xavier this year. Very, very good team as well. Like this team can hang with anybody in the country. And you know what? I'm not I, I, I'm not, you know, ruling them out. I'm not sharpie in them just yet. I think it's absolutely a chance that this is the year that Gonzaga does something really, really special, shocks the NCAA and wins it all. All right, that is a great note to end it on, so that is going to do it for me today. Enjoy the game on Thursday, Zags fans. Staying up late, get that afternoon coffee going. For those of you who need it, we'll have an episode recapping the game on Friday, of course, previewing that St. Mary's game. We'll also have an episode on Saturday, a fun one coming your way to listen to while we wait for the game on Saturday evening, so check that out as well. And, of course, don't forget the Locked On College Basketball podcast, free and available wherever you get your podcast. Go hit that subscribe button on both YouTube and for, on YouTube for both Locked On Zags and Locked On College Basketball. Leave a review on iTunes, leave a comment, hit that like button, whatever it may be. It is all very much appreciated. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.